here and welcome to the Life-Saving Gratitude Podcast. This is Bunny Terry. I'm with my co-host and producer, Johanna Medina. And our guest today is a guy named Aaron Huey that we were introduced by a service called Podmatch. And I, I love it because we... We know a lot of amazing people, but Podmatch helps us find folks that would that are perhaps a surprise to our listeners, but an incredible help. Aaron founded and has run a residential mental health trauma and dependency treatment center for teens in Colorado. He is a parent interventionist. And he says that's because really parents need intervention more than teens do. And he's a family coach, which um, after I talked to a young parent that I know, um, somebody who has an adolescent at home, she said, oh, parent coaches are the answer to struggling with teenagers. But Aaron is really clear that um, his, his, the people that he works with are parents of teenagers who are really struggling. These are not teenagers who are, you know, dropping grades and we argue too much. They broke up with so-and-so, but really struggling like multiple suicides, addictions, trafficking, ODs. His, his niche market needs significant help. And he says, I was a, an abandoned child. He um, offers listeners step-by-step really um, actionable stuff that you can start using at home with your teenagers. Um, at any, these, these are tips that help you and your kids um, change behaviors and, and come up with strategies that confront really tough stuff. And, and it's, and he doesn't just talk about teenagers that are in these high level difficult times. He also gives you really good tips that that all of our listeners could implement right now. I mean, what do you think, Johanna, after listening to him? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you you said it all for sure. But um, yeah, Aaron does. I think this is one of the more practical episodes because, I mean, Aaron's really a pro. Obviously, he's a pro in his field, but he is also a podcaster himself. So he knows how to get his message out there and make sure that, you know, it's it's digestible for our audience. Um, he also, his podcast is called beyond risk and back. I'm pretty sure. Um, yes, yes, beyond risk and back because, because as you were saying, the, the teens or the youth, however you want to put it, that he works with, they're not at risk. Like that quote phrase that we like to put on kids sometimes, which I'm not the biggest fan of anyway, but he's saying they're beyond risk because they're, they've already kind of passed that threshold um, so yeah, they are, it's, it's some extreme cases, but I, he also does relate it to kind of any, any parenting and, and how to, um, you know, also have a lot of self care is a big thing is something that he is obviously big on. Like you have to take care of yourself as a parent first before you can take care of your child because you're not, you know, as, as he says, and, and one of my favorite things to say is, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So you have to take care of yourself first. And um, yeah, I really loved hearing from him. And I'm so glad that we found him because Aaron is a, a great resource too. And and we'll provide all those links and resources to him uh, in the description and on your website. 
he has a new app coming out with his courses on it for parents and and teens. Um, so yeah, he's a really, really great resource. And I think the two of you both talk about just different parenting styles, which, uh, you know, <laughs> parenting wasn't even, or parent wasn't a verb like right, 20 years ago. Right. So uh, it's very different now. And I think the way we look at it is very different. And I just, Aaron has a lot of compassion for for teens and kids and, you know, he's just makes it very clear, you know, uh, kids are never the problem. It is a systemic family issue. If there's something that a, a kid is struggling with, that it's not their fault and they're, they're not the problem. So he, um, really works with the family system as a whole and especially the parents. So yeah, I think it's a really, really great episode and there's a lot of good information in this one. Well, and I'd say, um, Stay through to the end because at the end he offers what seems to me the really the the most practical tips for mm -hmm. um, anybody who's a parent or a grandparent because um, you know some of our listeners are grandparents but um, you know yeah caregivers are, of any kind you don't caregiver, have to be yes whatever traditional sense yes. of the word but yeah he does he yeah. does always breaks things out he's very passionate about what he talks about and he but he breaks it down into steps like here's what you could do so it's very um relatable and practical and, and i think something we can put into practice right so enjoy our episode with aaron huey and please like follow and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and we love your reviews thank you so much and keep leaving them Welcome to the Life Saving Gratitude Podcast. We are so excited today um, to visit with Aaron Huey. Aaron is, uh, I could read his entire bio. It's inspiring. It's exciting. Um, but I think the most important thing for you to hear is that Aaron is in the business of, I, I, I see it, Aaron, you're saving lives. You're intervening um, with children and uh, and parents who um, have significant issues, but you come from a place where you understand that better than anyone else. Tell tell my listeners, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and where you are now. Yeah, thank you. Uh, first, there were dinosaurs, and then the dinosaurs. No, I'll I'll jump forward a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> got got it. <laughs> yeah, my I was abandoned by my biological father and uh, bullied mercilessly growing up. I was diagnosed with ADHD in the 70s and started on Ritalin, uh, so way back in the day. Um, and I, uh, after I graduated by the skin of my teeth and the uh, affection of a math teacher who gave me a D minus instead of an F, I went to acting school, and it was while I was out in Hollywood uh, that I was sexually assaulted by a uh, a best friend who had the same name as my biological father. Go figure. That's how deep the psyche goes, right? Um, all of these things, and with with beginning to experiment with drugs at age twelve. Um, by the time I was nineteen, I was deep into daily use of drugs and any maladaptive coping strategy that was working at the time. I got sober after becoming a father and after being a husband um, in 1998. On May 21st, 1998, had a moment of grace and gratitude on the side of a country road across from a little, uh, almost a, a picturesque little country church. 
that was old and ramshackled and run down um, and had a, had direct intimate communion with a divine source in that moment that allowed me to experience love and forgiveness the way I'd always desired and never felt that I received, despite the fact that what I was seeking was seeking me the whole time. That that process of recovery, um, as it wound up and I began living life on life's terms, uh, in early 2003 and four, I was on Friday nights, I would drive around Boulder, Colorado, um, picking up, uh, teenagers who didn't want to go party, but actually wanted to go to a meeting because there was no resources in Boulder, Colorado for kids who didn't want to use plenty of resources for kids who did. And that turned, and I was at that time I was running teen rites of passage programs. I had a martial arts school. I was running little kids camps, a warrior camp, warrior goddess camp, superhero camp, ultimate family camp. And I finally just had a parent say, can my kid just come live with you? And my wife and I, through consideration, said yes. She told her sister, who told her best friend, who called up and said, can my kid come live with you? And within a week, we had six boys living with us and four on a wait list. Now, at the time, I also had two young teenagers of my own. Uh, my teenagers are now uh, 25 and 26 years old. So I am a parent, too. I am one of those teenagers who struggled. I started a home that turned into a residential treatment facility. Um, and the biggest success of our treatment facility has come from the work that we've done with parents. We've done really cool stuff with kids over the years. We won top 50 healthcare provider in the United States in uh, 2019. And in 2020, we won top innovator of healthcare in the United States. But it was our work with parents that really set us apart and cranked our success rate up to the highest in the world. And now on the, I'm sorry, I said highest in the world. I'm sorry. I meant highest adolescent recovery treatment in the U S um, that we can find. We have an 89% success rate. However, uh, we are now shutting our facility down um, and focusing my work on intervening on parents when when their teens are really at risk and we mean really at risk multiple ods suicide attempts drug dependency video game dependency debilitating mental health uh, depression anxiety how can a parent change so that the child can change because it has to go in that order and that's that's been our understanding since we began our work and it really did uh, pay off, not just emotionally, but with families all over the United States. Aaron, I want to take just a minute because I, preparing for this podcast, I spent a lot of time looking at the um, the website for Fire Mountain Residential um, yeah. Treatment Center, and you are at the, you are um, right at um, the Rocky Rocky Mountain state national tell tell me the term tell me where you're located let me <laughs> really, get it right <laughs> yeah rocky mountain national park we're in estes park colorado and so that you just told me when we signed on that you're having to rethink that because your fire insurance rates have uh, gone up two thousand uh, percent yeah, it's to unbelievable we were we were informed on august 27th uh that our fire insurance was going from uh twenty thousand a year to four hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year and it it literally just put me out of business it i cannot run a child treatment facility on the property that i own because Estes park has now been 
uh, rated in the 98th percentile of fire danger. And I, I mean, it's, it's been absolutely devastating. And I feel like being on your show right now, um, what has saved my life in the past month and a half, because this has been our mission, vision, passion, purpose. My wife and I started this in our house and it's now this 40 acre facility in Estes Park, Colorado with these awards and this top and the insurance company could give a crap. And I gave myself three days to mourn, to be angry, to cry, to, 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 and then it was like, okay, back to work. And what I am grateful for is the challenge and the opportunity. Um, the, you know, God shuts a, shuts a door and opens a window and my pantheon, God shuts a door and you got to kick a hole in the wall. <laughs> like you're, there's <laughs> right. no moving around for what will I do with my life? Because right. life has not stopped and the need that parents have to save their children has not stopped. So I was like, you get three days. Um, obviously I took a, a month and a half, but you know, like the, the three days to say, okay, for these next three days, you don't have to do anything but cry. And now back to work. What's your plan? What's your strategy? What's your business plan? What's your marketing plan? What are you going to do next? And so right now our focus is let's transition these children and these families as safely and as powerfully as we can. And then we get focused on stage two of this work. And uh, you know, I, I always want to be careful, not because I, I have been accused of, of, of speaking some toxic positivity. And I always think, no, I'm just eternally optimistic that the opportunity to make a difference is always going to show up. Even when, um, in fact, last week, our guest um, was a young man who is possibly in the final stages of his colon cancer. He's 43 years old. And he said, I have learned not just to be gratitude, not to be grateful in darkness, but to be grateful for the darkness because there is, there is an opportunity in that darkness somewhere. Sounds like that's where you've been. Yeah. You know, the starting this business in 2009, we started the kids camps and everything in 2004, 2009, we started the sober home that became the treatment facility. And that was a leap of faith. And I left a, a business partnership I was in because I saw the need and it felt like I was just being steered towards this thing. So we took the leap of faith, risked everything, sacrificed everything. My children sacrificed everything. And now what it feels like is I'm standing on this precipice, enjoying the view of our success and uh, the, the, the great God and goddess in their infinite omnipotent wisdom shoved me off the cliff. <laughs> and the question is, is that whether you go splat or whether you sprout wings and fly, both are that divine experience. And if I don't look at it this way, all I will be able to see is the devil that is the demon, the monster that is this insurance company who doesn't give a crap how good we were doing. The fact that I have a fire road, a pond, a hydrant, two access points. My across the street neighbor is a lieutenant in the fire department with a fire truck on his property. Like my tree line is 150 yards away from my buildings that are sited in concrete siding to protect it from fire. And it doesn't matter. 
this phase is done. Now it's time to move on to the next. And so I have to look at this and say, regardless of what I think of this, the warrior must attach to infinity and say, this is something that's greater than I am. And I must find my role in it because otherwise I think I would come apart. And that's where we find ourselves a lot. Is yeah. it's in fact I used when I was when I was diagnosed with cancer, and my dad would say, "What are you grateful for?" I would say, uh, I, "I'm I feel like jumping off a cliff, Dad. I don't I don't feel like talking to you about what I'm grateful for. I'm not, that's that's not where I am, and yet here we are. And so you you and I talked before we came on the air that you are transitioning into um, working with parents. Yeah, because it's so important to find. Uh, I'm, well, tell me, tell me about that. I mean, you've you've worked with with teenagers all this time in really dire, um, dire situations. I looked at the list of things you treated. I mean, it was it went it went from de- depression to gender dysphoria to suicidal ideation um, and internet dependency. I thought. I looked at your list and I thought, I don't, I don't know what else there is. You've been treating it all yeah, with great success. With, with the, the highest success that we can find. Um, but, uh, but like I said before, I always have believed since we began that it was our intervention with parents. We never said, Hey, go ahead and drop your kid off. Uh, come, come pick them up in about four months. Like, like the ch- children are not broken. Children's behavior is the language of the family system. And the, the families who have found their way to, to me, to us, to, to our work, understood on the onset, this is a parent intervention process. This is a family recovery process. Do not identify pa- your child as a patient. Do not identify your child as the problem. This family needs to go into recovery and everybody does their work and everybody goes into the family behavior contract and everybody goes and sees a therapist. And yes, your teenager who is really struggling will be here at my facility, but the parents are going to go through the phases uh, that the children have to go. The, The parents have to go through the therapy. The parents have to do the parents weekend. So for the past 20 years, I've been teaching parent weekends and parenting workshops and now am releasing an app. Uh, the app is done, finished, available. The website's up. I'll give you that information later about it's 56 lessons, 56 sessions of everything I have ever taught parents in 20 years of working with parents that I know works. At least it works for the parents. And that's the part about this is that when we're dealing with children who are beyond risk, not at risk, at risk was three years ago, at risk was a year ago, beyond risk. There's multiple suicide. This is multiple ODs. This is they've stolen your car. And the last time you took their phone because you were angry, they called CPS on you and accused you of abuse. That level of dysfunction. And At this point, we know that no change will take root in a household that hasn't changed. You want your child to change, you change. You want your child to do differently, you do differently. Because there is not a lecture we could think of that our parents gave us when we were kids that changed our lives. Not one oratory, not one. They sat us down and they gave us what for and we woke up the next day and went, geez, my dad was right. I'm changing my ways. It never happened. What happened was we did what they did or we did what they didn't do. And we learned based on their action or inaction. 
And until parents understand that change, that no child is broken, that they are responding to systemic failures, neurological or environmental, that the parents are in charge of systems. Adults are in charge of systems, not children. And so we have to, as parents, my job now is to say, okay, I know what works with kids and I know what works with parents. And if we don't start with the parents, we'll have to finish with the kids. So let's start with the parents and really start with the parents. Let's intervene there. I have to imagine you get some real pushback sometimes from parents who say, no, 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 Mike, do you not? Or, no, or are, are they so refuse, far gone at that point no, that they're willing? I, I refuse to work with those parents. I, I, I mean, I absolutely, if you, if you and, I, and I say this with all the love and understanding of any struggle you go through. Hey, your kid's got borderline personality disorder or is on the autistic spectrum and they were born this way or your, your, uh, 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 the child's other parent died or is it, I will not and I refuse to look at any child as being the source of the problem. Now, it may be neurological. It might be something, the brain chemistry's off. The brain's not functioning well. But even in that case, the adult has to set the foundation of change so that any change the child makes can root somewhere healthy. So no, I don't get pushback. But, but plus, I can push harder than anybody else. I, I have too many years of seeing the truth. And I, and I used to run a martial arts school, so no one will fight me. No, I'm kidding. I know it's not. Yeah. It really, <laughs> It really is. I know that if the parents are listening to my podcast or showing up on my Facebook, my private Facebook group or signing up for my app, they know that they need to make some changes too and are willing to look at that. And that's how I know that the family's going to be successful. That's how I know. So first step, I mean, let's just sure. at, at its simplest, because, because what we did a podcast, our second podcast was with a woman whose child died of suicide at 13. Yeah. And she spoke freely about it because she said, I want, I never want another parent to feel the way that I felt. I'm happy to talk about this any day of the week. So, uh, I, I mean, I suspect the first step is identifying an issue, but it sounds to me like when you talk to parents, they, they know what the issues are already. Oh, so, yeah. they haven't slept. They haven't eaten. They're not drinking enough water. They're not moving their bodies. They're, they're stress, anger, fear, frustration, parenting. Like, like they are caught up in the child's uh, results. And step one, first and foremost of all time and of all things is take care of yourself now. You have to survive even if your child doesn't. You have, and that starts with self-care. And it starts with one or five of five things. Sleep, the food, has to be nutritious. Are you drinking enough water? That's three. Number four is, are you moving your body? And five is, are you breathing on purpose? You cannot be accidentally successful. You cannot accidentally do good parenting. It, it is an intentional process, and self-care is no different. If you want your child to do their best, you must give the best of you to your child. And if you haven't slept because they snuck out, if, you, if you're not eating well because you skip lunch again, because you were on the phone with the principal again, then you have to stop and eat some food. And it has to be nutrition. It has to feed you. Otherwise, you're going to set up your own addictive patterns. You have to drink enough water. The moment we stop drinking enough water, our body dominoes. 
The moment we are not moving our body and we have aches and pains and we feel the aches and pains and pretty soon it hurts too much to move, but it moves too much to hurt. And we just, it, it's just, it becomes this vicious cycle and breathing on purpose. Really, even if that's just one second, one thing a day that you do on purpose for self-care doesn't mean you have to go find a cave somewhere and meditate for 10 hours and try to think of nothing. That's, that's an idealized version of something that we're not going to achieve. So we set that up as a failure and say, why bother? I'm talking about right now, parents who are listening and it's overwhelming. Take a breath on purpose right now and pay attention right now. Do it. That's self-care. That's all that is, is self-care. That's number one. Number two is adult relationship care. What, what, what your guest was talking about with her child to get to the point where you can lose a child and then be out there on a show and say, ask me anything. I'm willing to say anything. She's out there killing the secret. She's destroying the stigma and she is nurturing her adult relationships so that somebody can come to her and say, oh my God, and she can go right, me too, and they can go right. And now you're nurturing an adult relationship where you can have those massive adult-sized emotions of fear and, and stress and not have that be your parenting paradigm for your child. And what I mean by that is we tend to parent our child emotionally. We, we, we tend, when we're angry, we yell. And when we're scared, it comes through in our voice. And the strongest nervous system in the home will win. And an angry, scared, stressed, fatigued parent does not have the strongest nervous system in the room. The screaming child does. And that's why we lose our homes to these screaming children. So if number one and number two are in play, I take care of myself first, then I nurture my adult relationships second. That can be my parenting partner or a support group. That can be a friend I call or someone I talk to in a bookstore and go, you're reading a book on self-help. What am I missing? And that's nurturing your adult relationships. And then third, now you can go take care of your kids. Because if you do one and two, whatever you do in three is going to work better than it was before. That's so interesting. I I raised my kids in an old-fashioned manner. I had a, a, a cousin who said to me, you better raise kids that you're going to like as adults. <laughs> And I thought that was the best advice. She had these great kids who were about 10 years older than mine. And she said, it feels to me like our only job is to raise kids. We need to keep them safe, but our only job is to raise them so that they're prepared to leave us yeah. and become adults that we'll like and, you know, who will contribute, all that other, all that other stuff that we say. But um, I also read John Rosemond, who said, if you don't have a storehouse of your own, you can't supply anything to your kids. So what you just said about taking care of yourself and about having strong adult relationships resonates with what I learned early on, which is you single moms who think you're sacrificing yourself so that your kids will be happy. Uh, -uh. no, 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 no. You got to take care of yourself first. So I, I love that 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 seems to work <laughs> i mean how do we take care of our children if we have no one taking care of us now that's that's the first thing if we want to give our best to our children it has to come from the best space not from good intentions but from good actions right actions right actions are self-care I'm writing that down not from good <laughs> intentions but good actions good actions wow 
Yes. Uh, and I love, I love that one. How can you, how can you supply your children with anything from an empty warehouse? Uh, you know, cause we always hear the, uh, put, put on your own oxygen mask before you assist others, uh, a metaphor. The one that really hammered me years ago was hearing, how do you give someone a drink from an empty cup? You know, there's this, how do we nurture someone from an unnurtured space? How does a wounded healer heal? How does, you, you can go around a thousand times, but at the end of the day, as a parent coach, as a parent trainer, I care less what you do and more how you do it. Because I, I get those questions all the time. You know, my kid's doing A, B, and C. Should I take their phone? I don't care. I care that when you do it, it's coming from a really powerful space, not a forceful space of fatigue and fury. I, I, yeah, transparency is the new tough love. You, you want your children to really be shaken by your experience of them, then actually be able to communicate in a really healthy, mature way what your experience has been. That's transparency, clear communication. Transparency looks like, hey, last night when I came into your room to check on you and you were gone and it was 1.30 in the morning, I panicked. I freaked out. I was so scared. I called the police. Then I called my coach and we talked through it for a few hours. I'm glad to see that you're back. I'm glad to see that you're okay. Uh, we'll talk about what happened last night and the consequences in a few days when I'm really not going through what I'm going through right now, because what I'm going through right now is not going to make for healthy parenting or consequences. Uh, so I'll get back to you in a, a few days. I love you. And I hope you try some other strategies in the future. And to be in that space means you've done a lot of work. But when you're able to talk about what makes you angry from a space like that, I'm not saying don't be angry. I'm just saying don't consider uh, anger as a punishment. Don't consider anger as a consequence. Stop thinking your anger is leverage. That's emotional manipulation. Now, you are so angry because your child is making extremely risky decisions and it's devastating the whole family. No doubt. No doubt you're that angry. No, no doubt you're furious. No doubt you have considered everything, tried most things, and feel like you have nowhere else to turn. But that doesn't mean that right now is a good time to go be a parent. Right now is a good time for you to take a breath, get a glass of water, and do both those things on purpose. Right now is a good time for you to go on Facebook and find a parenting group and ask a question and wait a couple of days for some answers. And if that doesn't work, ask another question. You've got time. And you have to take care of yourself. And you have to resource before you parent. I read something in a blog post that you had, uh, the, the Bruce Lee quote that says, patience is not passive. In fact, it is concentrated strength. And that sounds like what you're talking about, right? It is. It is. I mean, when, when you watch Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners, who I'm very fond of, and I, I study a form of Kung Fu that is a very soft harsh style that, you know, you're, you're breaking bones and you're paralyzing limbs and stuff like that with very little to no effort. Um, because they say, if you break a sweat, you're doing it wrong. And they say that in Aikido. Um, and what I love about watching Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners is that when they're rolling on the ground and they're wrestling down there, they relax and they, they take time. 
and they'll they'll anchor in and they'll hold on and then they'll consider their next move and they'll pay attention to what their opponent's doing and they'll feel it and they'll really experience that moment of conflict before they take action rather than just reacting to it we we have a saying that the the lizard the limbic brain the lizard brain the survival brain right right a lizard as a species only does five things fight flight freeze faint fornicate and feed that is a lizard's life well that's your brain in survival mode that's what you're capable of doing and any one of those things can be a coping strategy of survival or a maladaptive coping strategy of survival but all of it's survival because that's literally all the limbic brain is designed for so from that space you can parent through a conditioned process you automatically react it's behaviorally based it's conditioned and it's conditioning you it digs the hole deeper and it sets up expectations of others a b c d e automatic behavior conditioning and it's conditioned it means you've always done it like this and you're you're going to keep doing it because every time you do it you dig the hole deeper and the only thing you're left with is saying, well, if they would change, I would be happy. I want you to think of parenting like water running down a mountain. It's going to find the fastest path to the bottom. And every time it finds that same path, it digs that path deeper and it reinforces the path. Your neurotransmitters are the exact same thing. You're literally linking two points in your brain of this happens, I do this. This happens, I do this. And it's automatic behaviorally based. They do this, I get angry. And every time I repeat that, I'm conditioning myself to do it like that again. The only way to, to break that is to not be in survival parenting. The only way to not being survival parenting is to come out of survival. Easier said than done, Aaron, because my child is suicidal. I know. I've worked with suicidal kids for 20 years now. It still doesn't change. I know it's easier said than done. And I wish I could let you off the hook, but I can't. You have to deal with this. You have to deal with the trauma of the fact that your child has tried to kill themselves. You have to deal with that trauma because trauma is keeping you in survival and it's keeping your parenting paradigm in a repetitive process. So you have to break the dance step. My child does this and I do this and they do this and I say this and repeat. It has to become my child does this and. I do something new. And the child goes, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, what happened to our old dance step? Now, what that new thing is could be a thousand things as long as it's conscious. And it'll work better than your unconscious survival parenting tactic. That's hard for parents to hear because every parent is just trying to do their best and work with what they've got. No parent is to blame. This is not codependency or enabling. Oh, you're enabling your child. I hate that. I hate that conversation. What a terrible thing for a mental health professional to say to a parent who's terrified of losing their kid. Well, every time you do that, you're in a codependent relationship. You know what? F off. Like, like that's terrible to say, you know what it is. It's pro dependency. You are doing anything and everything in your power and wheelhouse to keep your kid alive. So from this point, let's make some changes. I have always, because I've been in relationships with people who had issues with alcohol, 
I've always disliked that entire idea of enabling and codependency because I thought, you know, sometimes you're just attempting to be a good, decent person who provides them with some power to get better. You may be doing it incorrectly, but just the term codependency and enabling gets my ire up because I've been in those places. I bet you, what is good? I have worked with parents who have bought their children's heroin for them. Oh, my God. And, and, and and, And to say, what was your reasoning behind it? I didn't want them to go out on the street and buy it themselves because I know what could happen out there. I'm like, okay, let's work with that. Well, because I, I what you're, you're literally talking about life and death. And when life and death and life and limb come on the line, there are no rules. You do what you have to do to survive. Now, once you've survived that moment, now what? Now what? Now get out of survival mode. Because if you live in survival mode, then all you can do is fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, and feed. That's all you can do in survival mode. So you got to come out of that, whether you're on the receiving end of the trauma or the, the experiential end of watching someone else being traumatized. Parents whose teens are struggling are traumatized. I've not met one teen ever in 20 years who was addicted to drugs or video games or self-harm or even suicide as a, as a concept of addiction. I can explain that later if you want, but I've seen it. I've never met a child nor a parent caught up in addiction who wasn't traumatized. Not one, not one ever. So we're dealing with trauma. This work is about trauma. The gateway is trauma. And so what does parenting outside of survival look like in really practical terms? Let's go through those five again, the A, B, C, D, and E. Right. Because for the, the lizard, A is automatic. Knee jerk, instantaneous reaction, the flinch mm-hmm. factor mm-hmm. for the, let's call it the wizard parent, right? Lizard to wizard. That's our playbook okay. strategy. And I have lots of videos on this wizard playbook because there's also a warrior playbook and a bard playbook and a jester playbook because there are different types of parents, but let's just talk about wizard. A is awareness. Are you aware of what's actually going on for you? Not with your kid. Your kid smoked pot at school. They busted him, searched his bag. He's got six bags of weed in there. So obviously he's dealing. He's been arrested by the resource offer. You got to come down. He's getting minor in possession with a potential felony charge for distribution. You're aware of what your kid's doing. Gotcha. What are you doing? How are you doing? What's going on for you? What's your awareness really like? Where do you feel that experience in your body? A is awareness. It's the first thing. Not just, I'm aware there's a problem. No, no, no. We're all aware there's a problem. The whole school's aware that your family has a problem. But are you aware of how that problem affects you? That when the phone rings and you're at work, how your heart rate jumps? Are you aware of the fact that when you want to go talk to your kid or check on them, that you feel nervous and you feel your nervous system start to shake and shimmy? What is awareness? Awareness is a full body rapport experience. And then B, we move to balance. We find through awareness where our bodies are out of sync with itself. Holy crap, I got to have a hard conversation later today. And I'm not looking forward to that. I got a feeling in my belly of stress, tighten my throat. My brain's been going crazy all day. That's my awareness. B is balance. Okay, I'm feeling all this. What am I missing? 
Have I moved my body? Am I drinking enough water? Have I, did I sleep well last night? Am I, did I eat a healthy meal? Am I taking a minute to breathe on purpose? Because any of those five things done on purpose can start to reestablish your equilibrium, your balance. It's just taking that minute to go, holy crap, I'm scared. I am pissed. I am so tired. That was not bad breath. Let's do it again. And just that part, now you're in self-care mode and you are putting your prefrontal cortex back online. Your third, your C. A is aware, B is balanced. C is connection before correction. Are you really connected here? Are you connected to the situation? Not just by proxy of being a parent. Do you understand why they made the risky decision? Don't tell me it's a bad choice. Lest I tell you you're making bad parenting choices and set up an oppositional power struggle between us. It's a risky choice. We make good parenting decisions and we make risky ones. Children make good decisions and risky ones. Because we're all just working with what we've got, right? And we're all just trying to get needs met through every single decision we make ever. Are you connected to what that is? Safety, power, connection, freedom, worth. Those are the five human needs. So are you connected? Do you know which one's taking place here? In you, not your kid. We're not even talking about your kid yet. This is all internal me, 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 me work. Not you, 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 you. It's mirrors, not fingers time still. D is when we talk about the child. A, B, and C, awareness, balance, connection, awareness, balance, connection. Then we can transition that C into correction. And D, decide what we're going to do. But I'm not going to decide what I'm going to do for the kid until I've gone through an ABC process. D, I'm going to decide on the tool to use, decide on the consequence, decide on the conversation, or decide not to, decide to delay. Whatever I want to decide next, at least this decision is coming from my prefrontal cortex, my wizard brain. It might have taken three days for me to get through my ABCs. I may only have three minutes, but I do that work first, and then I D, decide. And then E, I do the best work of a wizard, an engineer, a scientist, a lawyer, a doctor. I evaluate the outcome. Did that work? What could I do differently? How could I have said that differently? Oh, I don't like the way I did that. I better call my coach. Hey, I said it like this. Well, that's not bad. The way I look at it is you were doing this. Okay. That's a different evaluation than mine. And we do an evaluation process. We research our tactics as a parent. Do I have to take the time to do this when my kid is in survival mode right now? Yes, you do. And I will say to every parent listening, because I hear this question all the time, especially when we get into the life and limb around suicide. Is it just a cry for help? Yes, it is. Listen. Listen and call 911. And, and take them to the hospital and let someone who's not directly involved in your paradigm make a decision for you. Because that is way traumatizing to hear your child say, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. So that's the A, B, C, D, and E of the wizard brain. Awareness, balance, connection before correction, decide on the tool, evaluate the outcome. I, 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 want, I, want, to, I want us to repeat that one more time, that if you're, 
in a space where your child is in true danger. Life you, and limb. Life and limb. You have to, you have, you have to call some, you have to get some, it is you, a cry you, for help. You have to pay attention. Yes. Whether it's suicide, whether it's ODing, whether or not the, the child is just talking out of control and you're like, this is, this is, they're in danger. That is your trigger to fire yourself as the decision maker and call in the professionals. Now, uh, there, I know there's a lot of fear around sometimes calling the police when your child's having a mental health struggle. You make sure parents that if you're calling 911 because of a mental health crisis, that you are saying those words in the recording. I have a mental health crisis with my child threatening themselves. They are not in a space. They, they're not listening to my words. And I am afraid they are going to hurt themselves or someone else. I need a mental health professional or an officer trained in mental health intervention. They, your, your district may not have it, but you use those words, mental health, over and over and over. And I promise you, you'll get people. Well, I can't promise you because everybody's human, right? But you are creating an environment where they are going to repeat what you said. That there is a mental health crisis taking place. Not a violent crisis, a mental health crisis. Can't guarantee that police officers are always going to handle it perfectly, but let's be honest, neither do parents, priests, teachers. We all struggle when it's a life and limb moment. When life and limb moments, and this we call the 99 and 1. This is one of the strategies I teach in, in the parenting courses. The 99 and 1. You have to practice these parenting techniques when things are going good. Like, like when things are going good, we rest on our laurels, right? We take that laurel crown and say, I got it. I'm good. That's when the Senate overthrows the government is when we're resting on our laurels. It's that's, that's when you practice all the techniques of the family behavior contract and the, you know, the MVEs and the NVCs and the front loads and the, all this stuff that we teach, the damaging admissions, all these tactics we teach have to be practiced 99% of the time. Cause that 1% of the time that it goes to true life and limb emergency act now, you will do what you're conditioned to do. And you will be conditioned to do what you've always practiced to do. And you will do that 1% of the time, what you've done the other 99% of the times. Nobody can expect that they're going to do great things in a moment of crisis if all of you've practiced is whatever you've always practiced. So you have to change the daily paradigm. And, and, and let's talk about that. I mean, what's the daily, if you're, if you are determined to, um, keep your children from ending up in these crisis situations. Nice. What's that yeah. 99%? What's that? How does that perfect. look? Yeah, it's perfect because now, now we, we can talk about two things. So I'm assuming the first one is we're talking about when your kids are doing well, what do I do to keep them from going into at-risk behavior? So let's start right. with that one. Let's start with there, that. There, there are five things you can do. Number one, family dinners. It is proven by Harvard. It's proven by Stanford. Sit down eat your food, no TV, no electronics, have a meal together, preferably one that people shared in the cooking and cleaning duties, but have a meal with no distractions, family connection time, alliance before compliance, connection before correction. That's number one, top proven thing to prevent risky choices family dinner. Number two, parents knowing their kids, friends, parents. 
just wrote up a quote today on my parenting group Facebook page. A child that is not embraced by a village will burn the village down to feel its warmth. Wow. You and I come from a time where I remember, I remember breaking a bottle in the street. I found a beer bottle sitting on the side of the road. I threw it up in the air. I was 13 years old, threw it up in the air, came down and broke. The houses on my block emptied. People scolded me. Somebody came out with a dustpan and a broom. And by the time I got home, my mom knew because we all knew each other. And if you see the size of our houses and the size of our fences, that we're going to build these big houses next door to each other and then big fences to keep us apart. Which is it? Which is it? Are we sharing this neighborhood? Are we sharing this work? Because we all say it takes a village, but very few people actually are the village elders that get out there and say, hey, we got a lot of kids on this block. Let's make some plans to keep them safe and take on that work. So that's number two, the village concept. Friends, parents knowing their kids' friends' parents. You got to know who your kids are talking to online. Do the work. Take the time. Number three is something for your children to do between three o'clock and seven o'clock. Those are the, I don't know, what do we call them? The devil times and idle hands do the devil's work, right? Now, I know parents, I I know we, we don't all have the finances for it. We don't all have the resources for it. And parents got to work to pay their mortgage. But between three o'clock and seven o'clock, between school and dinner, what is your child doing? Who is parenting, mentoring your child? It's either the internet or it's someone that you've put in charge. So find that person, vet them and find that person. Number four, the real honest to goodness, the real education for parents to teach the kids about what goes on in the brain with mental health and addiction. And for me, addiction means habituated behavior that messes up your life. I don't care what it is. Shopping. Uh, I, malls are not addictive, but shopping is an addiction. Slot machines are not addictive, but gambling is an addiction. Razor blades are not addictive, but cutting is an addiction. And to really understand what's going on in your child's brain developmentally when they smoke cannabis. I'm not the BS dare tactics or the scare tactics of, of uh, uh, the, the, that old uh, documentary that was put out God awful many years ago. I'm talking about, do you know what a nondamide is? Do you know what a neuromodulator is? Do you know how the molecule of THC copies a nondamide and keeps your child's developing brain from developing a nondamide and how that creates depression and anxiety in a child's brain? No, marijuana is, I'm sorry, cannabis is not deadly, but it does damage. And for you to deny that means you don't understand it. And I've been studying it And I was a cannabis addict. Was I addicted to cannabis? Yes. Is cannabis addictive? I don't care. That's irrelevant. I was addicted to cannabis. But knowing what cannabis has done to my body, knowing what cannabis did to my developing brain, I used cannabis for 14 years for on the daily. I was a dealer. I was a grower. I know everything about cannabis, including what it really does to the brain. Not the 14 million Google searches your kid's going to bring to you and say, it doesn't do anything. And then, of course, the fifth, the fifth thing to do is self-care. You, you, the best thing about self-care, and this is what I'll say, the best thing about self-care is understanding that 
through all the years of practicing self-care, my wife and I practicing self-care, now that my kids are 25 and 26 years old, when times get tough, that's what they go to is self-care. My son will get stressed, he'll go skateboarding. My daughter will get stressed, she'll go hiking. They practice self-care. That's what that modeled. Take care of yourself first. When life's not taking care of you or somebody's not taking care of you, the school's not taking care of you, your employer's not taking care of you, you've got to do it. Um, that's number five. Number, f- number five is, as always, self-care. Taking care of yourself first. It's what you model and ultimately it's what your kids will do, which is what we want them to do in the first place. Aaron, we could talk about this for hours. Seems like every time I do a podcast, I say, we could talk about this for hours. But I want to, um, you've said some amazing things. I love that transparency is the new tough love. And and you also said in one of your blog posts that you you choose love no matter what. And I just think those are, such important things for parents to hear that you don't react in anger. You take some time, take care of yourself first, but I, we've really got to find, give people a way to find you. I mean, you've got a Facebook group, you've got a YouTube channel, as I understand it. How can parents, whether they're in high trauma or low, wherever their kids are, I want them to be able to find you. And I want you to promise to come back again so that we can talk some more about what what you're doing to help families. I'm so inspired. I'm, you know, I feel like I got my kids raised by the skin of my teeth, but I came from a place where we, you know, I, I, like you, I grew up in a neighborhood where if I had broken a bottle in the street, I'd Everybody would have been in trouble, every kid on the block. So um, so tell us what you're providing that our listeners can hook into right now. Yeah, thank you. thanks so much for the opportunity to talk about resources that I have for parents. Um, first and foremost, I have a free support group uh, on Facebook called Parenting Teens That Struggle. It is a private group. It's moderated by me. And uh, this is where parents can get their questions answered, uh, not just by me, but by other parents who are going through exactly what you're going through. It's parenting teens that struggle. And from there, I also post all my podcasts, all the videos that I do. And it's also where I post a link to attend a call every Monday night at seven o'clock, uh, mountain time, just to have a live Q and a to, to, to listen and hear and support parents who are really going through it. Um, and then of course my podcast beyond risk and back, I've got over 230 episodes with some of the world's top experts on adolescent development, addiction, dependency, uh, the, the self-harm, uh, mental health issues, behavioral issues. And it really is designed to get what the experts know directly into the parents' hands. Uh, and I've been really privileged over the past few years to have some of the most amazing guests on that show. I've learned from them and I know my audience has too. Also, if parents go to a website called brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com, I have a 56 session parent training course. And this is this is for parents who uh, their families are in the red. 
like a stoplight, right? Everything is full stop. Every, things are not working. It is dysfunctional. Nothing's going anywhere. These kids are beyond risk. Uh, then there's the yellow courses, which are the, the warning light, the slow down light. The, this is the at risk. This is the kids are making risky decisions and they could go red, but we also know they're still hanging on to some green and we want to get them green. And then, of course, the green course, which are things are good, but you know they could be great. You know this kid's a world changer, and with some minor parenting changes, this kid could really change trajectory from having good grades, having a good teen experience, to having a world-changing teen experience. So that's the app that I sell, and you get all three courses. Uh, the price is unbelievably affordable because I really want parents to have full access to this. So that's brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. Thanks again, Aaron, for joining us. And I, I hope that we can get you back because this has been one of, one of the most practical podcasts we've ever done. Thank you so much for being here. Mm -hmm.